You're listening to Western Sydney Health Check, a podcast talking all things health, providing current and accurate healthcare information for the community and our staff. I'm Sia. And I'm Harrison. And we'll be taking you through this podcast. Wonderful to be here today, Sia, and thank you everyone for tuning in to episode six of Western Sydney Health Check. Today, we're joined by Tom Solano, an intensive care specialist and the COVID-19 Critical Care Coordinator for Western Sydney Local Health District. Thank you so much for your time, Doctor, and for joining us on Episode 6 of our podcast. It's great you could be here today. Oh, it's a real pleasure, Harrison. Thank you. To start with, I just want to really acknowledge the amazing work that you and and all of your team have been doing so far for COVID-19. It really has been a a monumental effort to uh, ramp up what we're doing in the district. Can you tell me how are you and the rest of the staff feeling right now? Um, Look, we're... We're feeling uh, pretty good, actually. As you know, the numbers in New South Wales have have dipped substantially. So um, we had a surge of intensive care patients around three weeks ago that um, allowed us to get our policies and procedures in place. Um, and uh, we're, we've managed to look after the bulk of the patients, you know, very, very successfully. So we're enjoying a little bit of a reprieve um, and, you know, uh, reflecting on on how we've managed uh, uh, a large number of patients who have come through intensive care. It's quite remarkable, really, what we're seeing in Australia compared to the rest of the world, the fact that we even have a bit of a reprieve right now. But you did mention prior to that we did have a bit of a surge. How did you see staff sort of rise to the challenge in that occasion? Oh, the staff have been incredible. You know, there's obvious apprehension with... Uh, COVID-19 because it, it's an unknown disease. There's no known treatment, and uh, it obviously can affect uh, staff. So, uh, understandably, there was a degree of apprehension. Um, however, our, our intensive care staff are incredibly well trained, incredibly professional, and really have risen to the challenge in in ways that have even surprised me. It gives me incredible pride to see them at work. That's brilliant to hear. Yeah, I'd love to hear that. We'll talk more about that, I guess, in a moment. But I thought it'd be great to begin if we could just talk a little bit more about what is intensive care? And, you know, how does it differ to regular care in a hospital if there is such a thing? Intensive care is a, a designated uh, physical space within the hospital with specialised equipment and uh, specially trained medical and nursing staff and allied health. We look after the sickest of the sick patients in the hospital, people who need very intense support of various organ systems, you know, particularly uh, breathing assistance, medications and sometimes machines to help heart and uh, blood pressure, kidney support with dialysis and other modes of therapy. So we, we really look after the, the sickest of the sick. It sounds like it takes a special kind of person to get into this kind of medicine. What is it that inspired you to get into intensive care? That's a, that's a really good question. I think you're drawn to things that, um, that you have some aptitude for, I suspect. I always enjoyed understanding how the body works, you know, physiology and um, what goes wrong with it. So that, that's almost a natural extension into intensive care medicine because you, you have to have a, a good detailed understanding of you know how and things are interconnected and how they can go wrong and how to how to manage that what are sort of some of the typical types of patients that you would see in intensive care you know in a regular year so people who have 
the need for assistance with their breathing. So that, that's what we call ventilation support or mechanical ventilation. That's probably the commonest reason for coming to intensive care. So the causes of that are, are things like pneumonia or you know blood clots into the lungs, heart attacks that, that can, can all affect the, the way the lungs work. We look after people who have sustained major trauma um, and need uh, intensive care uh, as a result of you know massive injuries. We can look after people with very, very severe infections of their body systems, patients who have taken overdoses and need our assistance, patients with you know other problems with their brain where they're, they're not able to control their breathing very well, so we need to provide them with support along those lines. They're the, the sort of conditions that we, we commonly look after in intensive care. Okay, and have you seen any difference so far this year with people's lifestyles all changing as a result of the coronavirus lockdown, I suppose? Are there less of certain types of patients? At this point in time, there's been a lull in some activities. So the the overall presentations to the emergency department seem to be a little bit lower. There there is a little bit of data that suggests that um, social distancing might have a a flow-on effect for other diseases like influenza. We're very much hoping that that might be the case. There's a decrease in the amount of surgery that's occurring, although not, not surgery that is urgently required. That's still going ahead at a normal rate. Um, So we have seen a a little bit of a decrease in activity in the intensive care unit. And of course, all of that uh, will help us if we do have a surge in COVID-19 presentations. So you've mentioned that often you are dealing with people that need help breathing. And of course, that's what we're talking about with COVID-19. Can you tell us, I suppose, what you've seen so far and maybe what you're expecting when you are treating patients with this new disease? Well, we, we see two two types of presentation with COVID. One is where the infection in some people, for reasons that we don't understand, seems to progress very, very quickly soon after the onset of the infection and affects the, the lung tissue and the ability to transfer oxygen is the main manifestation. And thankfully, that can be monitored and picked up very, very quickly and we can deal with that. There, there appears to be another subgroup of patients who remain reasonably well for about a week you know uh, around that period of time and then again have a, a sudden deterioration in their oxygen levels and in, in those patients we're a little bit unsure of what the mechanism is whether it's the immune system kicking in or whether it might be some unusual blood clotting that might be happening in the lungs um, but they're, they're the two sorts of patterns of uh, lung involvement that we're seeing with COVID-19. It sounds like there's still so much that's unknown. Do you feel like you're just learning more each day or each week and it's changing your approach perhaps? Yeah, absolutely. It's, um, it, it is a very different disease and a very different syndrome and it's challenged us to remain uh, flexible and agile and reflective on on how we manage the patients. There's um, fortunately for us, but unfortunately for overseas, there, there's been a lot of experience that precedes us having to look after the patients. So we're able to learn lessons from our colleagues in, in Europe and the United States. So we're we're taking that information and adapting it to allow us to manage patients in our intensive care unit. Mm, it is great to see that there's so much capacity to learn from other countries, although, as you said, it's quite uh, tragic what we're seeing overseas. Obviously, a big thing that we're seeing overseas as well is that um, medical staff themselves are getting sick through treating infectious patients 
Can you talk to us about what are some of the precautions that staff take here? The staff are taking extensive precautions wearing uh, what we call PPE or personal protective equipment and that, that includes masks, goggles, at times we use face shields, uh, we wear gowns and gloves, uh, we practice very, very strict hand hygiene where we uh, wash our hands or use appropriate hand products to to make sure that we keep the germs off our hands as much as possible. Um, it is very onerous and you know, it, it is, it, you know, that there are physical implications. It does get hot and sweaty under the gowns, but the staff have been incredible and very heartening to know that our policies and procedures have, have kept our staff safe. Yeah, definitely. That's very heartening to hear. I'd like to talk a little bit about staff wellbeing as well, because as you say, there's conditions can be onerous and stressful and obviously there's a bit of anxiety as well. What are we doing to look after you and, and the rest of your team? Westmead introduced a, a staff wellbeing program some time ago um, and that's being utilised. One of my main roles in the job is to act as a, as a very strong uh, staff advocate and I've been very fortunate to have uh, really excellent support from the executive branch of of the hospital that you know if I have concerns about issues that require you know a, a rapid intervention to provide our staff with you know resources or staffing or any other aspects they've been very very responsive so I think acting as an advocate with a, a rapid response uh, from from executive has you know has been one of the one of the aspects that makes the staff feel supported and um, makes them heard and has their concerns dealt with in a, in a very rapid fashion. The, the intensive care staff are, are, are an amazing group, so they get support from each other and from the senior nursing staff in the unit. And, you know, they, um, they, they have the opportunity to vent any concerns and, um, and have them dealt with. That's really encouraging to hear. Thanks for sharing that, Dr. Solano. I was wondering if I could ask about uh, maybe patient and family well-being as well. Another thing that's difficult about an infectious disease is that you can't have family there by the patient's bedside when they're really ill and would normally like to be with them. Are there any sort of creative ways that we've been helping families to stay connected at this difficult time? Yeah, that's been one of the really challenging aspects of of managing COVID-19 in that um, we, we don't have the direct um, interactions with family members that, that we would usually have. Um, our social workers in ICU are, are incredible. They provide a really important lifeline between what we're doing at the bedside and to the patients. We're, we're having to use obviously non-physical means of communication. We're exploring you know, methods of potentially using newer technologies um, to, to be able to connect families. It is one of the really challenging aspects, particularly when, when people are so sick and they can't be surrounded by, by their loved ones. We, we acknowledge that that's a, a substantial burden that, you know, is a, one, of the, one of the bystander effects of this disease. Obviously, in intensive care, you would be used to seeing patients who are very sick and, and those who don't recover. But could you tell me a little bit about, I guess, the success stories and patients that you have seen get well and be able to leave the hospital? Um, yeah, I can. Um, touch wood, we've had a, an incredible rate of success in managing um, very sick COVID patients. Um, I've directly interacted with one patient who recovered and has gone home and while he remains 
still in the recovery phase and requiring rehabilitation. He's um, so incredibly grateful for for the work that uh, intensive care did to, you know, in his words, give him a second chance at life. So that was really encouraging feedback to have from from one of the patients that we looked after who was very, very sick. And, and, and all the patients that we have looked after in intensive care have have been very, very sick. All They've all needed to be to have a breathing tube put in and placed on a on a life support machine. So, so so far we've thankfully had a good rate of success in managing patients in in our intensive care unit. Wow, that's powerful. Thanks for sharing that detail. I'm wondering if you could tell me a little bit more about yeah that intensive care. You know, having breathing tubes put in on on life support machines. What does that involve for the staff in monitoring patients and, and keeping them well when they are so critically ill? So we've set up a, a particular system which has been replicated around, you know, not just Australia, but it's been recommended around the world where we have a, a dedicated group of experienced anaesthetists who will come and place the breathing tube in a patient with COVID. That's a little bit unusual in that usually in intensive care, the intensive care staff would would place the breathing tube themselves. That requires the patient to effectively have an anaesthetic um, so that the placement of the tube can be put in without any discomfort for the patient. Usually when a, a tube's been put in and you're placed on a breathing machine, you do need to have some degree of medications that keep you comfortable. Um, we call you know we call that sedation. Um, and that varies degree depending on how sick you are. Some people have light degrees of sedation and other uh, other people require very, very heavy degrees of sedation. There's no doubt that w- one of the side effects of being in intensive care is that when you're in that state of, you know, almost like suspended animation, that that can be very distressing and people can get, you know, very delirious during their stay in intensive care. So we're well aware of that. Uh, and it's one of, one of the issues that we, we do our best to get uh, to get on top of it sounds like for people that recover as well that's definitely not the end of their journey with the health system there's rehabilitation and things involved in getting back to full health absolutely so uh, the um uh, attending teams whether or not they're infectious diseases or the respiratory uh, department provide you know an incredible follow-up service to the patients once we discharge them out of intensive care we know that they're following them up to to deal with um any any issues that might crop up as they're recovering. Thanks for sharing that. I really appreciate those details, but I'm wondering if we can finish by looking at the big picture in your role as the you know, critical care coordinator. Can you tell us what Western Sydney LHD has been doing to increase our intensive care capacity? Yeah, so we've been obviously exploring all of the areas uh, within the area that can work as intensive care uh, beds. So we have identified some areas that we've been um, uh, altering at the moment so that we can expand the number of patients that we can look after should that need arise. Across at Blacktown, they moved into their um, new intensive care unit, which provides them an expanded capacity. And uh, as an insurance policy, we've kept their old intensive care unit. So we've um, expanded the, the capacity uh, you know, dramatically. We've obviously got you know, different degrees of plans, you know, plan A and plan B and plan C, depending on number of patients that we might see presenting with COVID. Um, on the ward level, we, uh, we we know that the hospital has expanded the number of medical beds to look after COVID patients 
we know that only a fraction of the patients who have COVID will need intensive care. So the need for beds on, on the medical wards is, is also very substantial. And the, you know, the hospital has been doing a, a fantastic job in, in identifying those and reconfiguring and staffing those beds. That's really reassuring to hear. Thanks for sharing that. I suppose to end, do you have any personal reflections over the past weeks and months of how this pandemic has been for you and the team so far? I think that the remarkable thing about it is the degree of camaraderie, not just within intensive care, but also also within the hospital as a whole. You know, I've been at Westmead for for 10 years and I've, I've never seen a, a degree of common purpose amongst all the staff to try and come together and, and look at ways of, you know, overcoming this problem, you know, with the United Front. It's been very challenging to deal with uh, a disease which is so unknown and has the capacity to overwhelm resources. Um, so that's caused a, a lot of reflection about how how we might address that and how we can re- reconfigure our roles to, to rise up to the challenge. Dealing with... Um, cases that you know need a balance between making sure that the staff are kept safe as a as a first priority but that all, that we also make sure that the the patients don't miss out on care because you know there might be a fear or apprehension about looking after them so to ensure that patients get as close as possible to what is the gold standard of care that they deserve so that that's been really important in in guiding you know my thinking about how we manage it remaining transparent and accountable so that you know even though this is a a crisis making sure that you know any decisions that i might make or that we might make are you know documented well and that you know if we need to go back and look at the decisions that we've made that we can that we can remain accountable and to not just our peers but also to the community in general about the, the decisions that we've made. And sometimes we do have to make very tough decisions. Sounds like you've had to make a lot of tough decisions and do a lot of really difficult thinking already. So thank you for that. Are there any final words of encouragement that you'd like to share with the staff or patients or public or anyone? Well, it's just been amazing to see the um, the way that, you know, not just New South Wales, but Australia has really overall taken up the challenge to you know deal with this together this reprieve that we're seeing at the moment is you know due to you know the the way the public has has really provided us with the breathing room to be able to gather our resources restock our not only our energy but also our equipment and um you know if we can keep this up we'll we'll be able to get through it together it's it's a long hard haul um to to overcome this crisis, but uh, it re- really requires more than just doctors and nurses and equipment. It really requires, you know, everyone to to have a common purpose and to rise up together and and to think of each other to, to help us, you know, break this disease. I can't think of a better note to end on than that. Dr. Solano, thank you so much for your time and for everything that you and your team are doing to keep us safe. Thanks so much, Harrison. Thanks for listening to Western Sydney Health Check. This podcast is produced by Western Sydney Local Health District. For the latest news, visit us at thepulse.org.au.